God is good, isn't he? Would you turn with me, Revelation chapter three. We're gonna start at verse number seven. Revelation chapter three, beginning at verse number seven. I'm gonna look at the church at Philadelphia this morning. While you're turning there, let me remind you that our 10 o'clock, or actually, I guess, 1010 electives uh, kicked back off this morning for several weeks. So uh, for men uh, over in the spot, and for ladies down in the fellowship hall. And I hope that you'll jump into one of those and be part of that today for the next several weeks. And I know it's gonna be great in both of those classes. So um, let me invite you to take part and be part of that with us this Sunday and each Sunday. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord this morning. Look at your neighbor and smile real big and just uh, smile through the mask. I can see it. I can see those smiles through the mask. (laughs) Thank you for being in God's house today. What a beautiful day it is, and what a beautiful day it always is to be in God's house. Amen? I I spent, um, I guess Pastor Jacob, Pastor Daryl, a few of us, we spent a few months just coming in here, and it was an empty building. Thank God we can assemble together again. And I know we're split with 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock, but thank God we can be in his house. Amen? And so let's just continue to pray and invite and let's be safe and smart and we can continue to assemble together and worship together. Is that all right this morning? I wanna continue on in our Conversion Culture Series. We are on the Church of Philadelphia. Next week is actually, believe it or not, the last week of the series. This seven weeks has flown by, really, hasn't it? And we'll be looking at the Church uh, of Laodicea Uh, the lukewarm church. But this morning, we're looking at this beautiful little church of Philadelphia in our Conversion Culture series. I thought about our series, Conversion Culture, and I thought, what is one of the things that we're trying to say? What is one of the things we're trying to communicate in this series? And it ties so well to this church today, and it's this. One can make a difference. One can can make a difference. One person can make a difference. One church can make a difference. And I want to encourage us this morning, whoever you are and wherever you are, get in your heart and in your mind that through Christ, you can make a difference. Sometimes I need to remind myself, Greg, you can make a difference through Christ working in your life and through your life. We need to remind ourselves whether we are a new Christian or a very experienced Christian, wherever we may find ourselves on that continuum, Christ can work in and through our lives. Isn't that a beautiful thought today? Don't ever think that that you are on the shelf somewhere. Don't ever think that your time has left you or you have missed your opportunity. Don't ever think you're too young or too inexperienced. Wherever we are, Christ can use us to make a difference. And each one of us through our lives go to different places, different geographical places, but we are Christ ambassadors. We're his hands and his feet Wherever our lives take us, we can make a difference. 
Look with me, please, Revelation chapter three, starting at verse seven, and we'll look at this specific church of Philadelphia. I wanna read the entire letter this morning. Uh, I don't typically do that, but I want to this morning. Starting at verse seven. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door. No one can shut it. For you have little strength and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from God. And I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is what Christ wrote to Philadelphia. And I thought about Philadelphia, and then I went back and I thought about Smyrna. And those are our two examples. Out of all seven churches, there were two of them that Christ found no fault whatsoever. He condemned them in no way. Now, was he saying they were perfect? No. I heard it this week, some random time this week, someone talked about, they said they had the perfect church. And that pastor responded, well, there must not be any people there, <laughs> including the pastor, right? The only perfect church. There's no perfect church. But these two, Smyrna and Philadelphia, were faithful churches. They were trying. And that's what God wants out of you and I this morning. He wants us to try and put our heart and our life in it. We're not always gonna meet the mark. We're not always going to be successful. Sometimes we're gonna fail. Sometimes we're gonna mess up. But is our heart in the game? Can I say it that way? We've all watched a basketball team or a football team play and we say their heart was not in the game. They weren't in it. They weren't in it. That, that happens a lot when you're a Virginia Tech choky, I mean hokey fan. I remember when Frank Beamer was still the coach and he would get that look and it would be like this. When he had that look, you know, oh no, something is it's not good. What, what is going on in Blacksburg today? But you know what I'm saying? As Christians, may our heart be in the game. And Philadelphia and Smyrna, these precious little churches made up of mothers and grandmothers and fathers and sons and uncles and aunts and men and women and boys and girls, they had their heart in it and they were trying and they were making a difference. Even in the midst of an evil world, they are true examples to us. And it touched my heart. Look at slide number three, open hearts. Open hearts. 
We're gonna look at open hearts, we're gonna look at open doors, and we're gonna look at an open invitation this morning. But first, I wanna talk about open hearts. First, we see that they were written to by Christ who called himself holy. He called himself true. This is an invitation to you and I to invite him to make our hearts holy, to make our hearts true. But he is holy. I wrote in my notes here, there is none like him. There is none like God. No one is like God. God is the righteous standard. God is total purity. God is total goodness. God is total holiness. God is the standard. Now I know as parents, sometimes our children will ask us if they can do something or if they can go someplace. And we might say no. And they might say why. And we might say, because I said so. <laughs> Have you ever done that before? Because I said so. I see one in the back. Because I said so. I make the rules. I control the budget. I said no in the household. Amen. Maybe your wife told you that. No. <laughs> but we look at God and we say, why does God get to make the rules? Because God is the only one who is holy. And sometimes we say, well, God, why can't I do this? Why can't I do this? Because I said so. <laughs> right? Because God said so. God is the standard. God is holy. And not only is holy, he is true. Because he is holy, he and he alone gets to decide what is right and what is wrong. Can I tell us this morning that God decided, God defined right and wrong a long time ago. In fact, from the existence of this world, in fact, prior to the existence of this world, God had already decided and defined what is right and what is wrong. This series is called Conversion Culture. Our culture is in a turmoil of trying to decide what is right, what is wrong. And some things our culture says, well, that used to be wrong and now it's right. And that used to be right and now that is wrong. Can I tell us this morning, God decided and defined truth a long time ago. Where do we find this truth? In his revealed written word that he has given to us. And now more than ever, May I propose to us that now more than ever, we need to know what is in the scripture. We need to know the truth of God's word because God has already defined the truth. The beautiful thing about these precious people at Philadelphia is that they had open hearts and their hearts were open to the holiness of God. Their hearts were open to the truth of God and their lives were faithful and they were living out the gospel message, even in a hard world and a tough society, even in the midst of persecution, they were listening and they were following. Have you ever heard noise, but you really haven't listened? Have you ever had your wife tell you, I told you, I asked you to take that trash out three days ago, and you think, no, you didn't tell me that. Sounds like that's happened to one of us at least, right? 
Sometimes we hear things, noise is being coming, but are we listening? And, and when Christ ended each of these letters that he inspired John to write down, every one of them ends by saying, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. And I wonder how many times do we hear a teaching or a preaching? How many times do we hear it? How many times do we listen to it? Is that all right this morning? I can turn on teaching or preaching or music and I can be driving somewhere and listening and then my mind can be a thousand miles away. We're all like that, aren't we? We're just human. But God help us to really listen and really zone into what God is saying, what his word is saying. And they were listening. The church at Philadelphia, they were listening. They were following. They were living it out in their lives. Look at verse eight, please. Verse number eight. He said this, I know your works and see I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it for you have little strength, have kept my word and not denied my name. That really blessed me about this little church of Philadelphia. They had little strength, but they had kept God's word and they had not denied his name Little strength. I thought about that a lot this week. They had little strength. They were strong, though, because they depended on God. Do you remember the scripture that talks about when I am weak, then I am strong? It talked about my, and my infirmities, but Christ working in me and, and his strength and his power, giving me the power that I need. That really stirred me. They were strong because they depended on God and their weakness, watch this, their weakness made them depend on God. So their weakness really made them strong. Now that just kind of boggled my mind, but their weakness really made them strong because their weakness made them depend on God who then made them strong. And sometimes in our lives, we can question God and we can say, why? God, why do I have this physical condition? I used to be healthy, but why now, God, why? God, why have I lost this loved one that I loved so much? Or, or God, why can't I just seem to do what I used to? to do, or why, God, why? God, I don't know enough. I need my education ahead of me to fulfill the career that you've put on my heart. Why don't I know these things? But our weakness should propel us to look to God, and then God gives us the strength that we need. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Least we be exalted in our own capabilities. Least we be prideful in our own strength or ability or power, no I want my heart to be open to his strength and his ability. And I pray, God, don't let it be my ability that comes through. Let it be your power and ability that comes through my life. Because you are strong. It was not their giftedness that made them so special at Philadelphia. It was their faithfulness. Man. It was not their ability 
that made them so great at Philadelphia. It was not their ability, it was their accessibility. It was their willingness to be used of the Holy Spirit and their faithfulness to God. It was their accessibility, not their ability. For us, how is that applicable? It's not our strength, but it's our total dependence on God. Now, I could go around this room this morning and we would all say, I depend on God, I depend on God, I depend on, we would all confess that. I really believe we would all confess that, wouldn't we? But have you ever fallen into a time where maybe more of our focus, more of our dependence was on our our riches than on the one who provides for us? I have, I have. There are times that I have looked at my bank account and, and and my paycheck And I think those are the sources of my provision, what's in my bank account and what's coming in my paycheck. And that's what's sustaining me and that's what's giving me my livelihood. And sometimes I'll forget that, no, God is the source of all of that. And so if the paycheck decreases, does that mean God decreases? No. My focus, my dependency is upon God. When I am weak, then I am strong. Why does God allow us to walk through vulnerable places, vulnerable seasons in our lives? Many times it's because he's getting our focus on him. Many times it's so we can see that glorious strength that is made perfect in our weakness. Sometimes we don't really fully know the grace of God that's available to us until we have really been put to the test. But I can promise you that in those times when we really need the grace and strength of God the most, it is in those times he will be the best for you and I. You've seen the picture of the footprints on the sand and they're walking two sets of of feet And then during the hard time, there were just one set of footprints and they say, Christ, where were you? He said, I was carrying you. And I believe it's that grace and that strength and we depend on him. That's what this church at Philadelphia was doing. Their total dependency, their hearts were on Christ in the bad times and in the good times. And they knew that their strength came from him. Not only did they have open hearts, but they had an open door. If you go back to the beginning of verse eight, it said, I know your works and see, I have set before you an open door. What is this open door? What is the open door? First and foremost, I believe that the open door is salvation through Jesus Christ. 